Good morning. This is uh, the time when our kids are going to head out for, for Children's Church, so they'll head out that way towards the back. And, uh, of course, we also have an, a nursery over there in the other building and a uh, cry room uh, in the back of, of this building if you need to take advantage of, of any of those options this morning. Uh, as Katie Ann said at the beginning, we've got a lot of, of information out there. Uh, we've got our normal bulletins and prayer list. We've also got, um, as she mentioned, some some cards, some postcards for our upcoming fall festival that we're having. Uh, these are for you to pick up if you want one, uh, but also uh, get one of these, pass it out to neighbors, friends, whoever, um, and, and we, we hope that we can have a lot of people involved in this. We hope we can bring in some people. We're going to reach out to the uh, surrounding apartment complexes and things like that, but we also need people to, to help uh, host games and things like that at that festival. So um, as, as Katie Ann said, you can talk to Carrie about that or, or me or um, anyone who looks like they know what they're doing. Um, so we've also got coming up in November another new and prospective members lunch, and there's cards for that out there as well. And so um, if you uh, are, are a new member within about the last year, we did one of these last winter, uh, fall, whatever, somewhere around there. I think it was the beginning of December. Um, uh, or if you have been visiting with us and are interested in just learning more about our church family, that's coming up in November, and so we'll hope that you'll check that out. And then one more just kind of logistics note. We are having combined class again today. Uh, we'll be in the auditorium. The adults, at least, kids will have all their own classes. But for us adults, we'll be combined uh, in the fellowship hall. And it'll be somewhat similar to what our normal fellowship hall class is. So if you're not familiar with that, we kind of have open discussion about the sermon. Um, but the more people you add, the more difficult it gets to just have just kind of truly just... Um, open, we'll see where it goes, discussion. So we may start there, see where we go, but maybe a little more structured than, than normal. But what I want to invite you to do then, because I do think that our topic in Scripture today uh, has a lot of different places we could go in, in discussion. And so each week on the back of our bulletin, there's a place for notes. Um, some of you may just use your phone for that, um, but uh, I would invite you to, if you've got, um, if you've got a thought or a question um, that, that kind of comes up to you or, or a, a topic that you think, man, I would like to, to hear that discussed more in, in kind of a conversational format. Uh, jot that down on your bulletin, put it in your phone, and, and bring it to class this morning, and we'll talk through some of that in class. Uh, let's pray, and then we're going to get into our lesson for today. Father in heaven, I uh, thank you for inviting us into relationship with you. Thank you for inviting us into communion, into community with you. Thank you for the community that, that exists here, for the relationships uh, that we have with each other, for the ways in which we can strengthen and encourage and lift each other up, and for the ways in which uh, worship has a unique ability to draw us to each other and to draw us to you. You can continue, God, to, to guard and direct our hearts and our minds and our spirits as we continue to worship you in this place uh, so that we can be filled uh, to worship you uh, as we leave this place as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we're in this series where we're looking at, at some stories in 1 Samuel that have to do with seemingly some supernatural type stuff, ghosts spirits, things of that nature. 
Um, and so as I've been reading through 1 Samuel, I've just been reminded that, man, 1 Samuel is a weird book. <laughs> it's just, it's fascinating. It's got fascinating stories, but it's also weird. Um, if you've been reading through it, or if you want to go back and read through it, like uh, the, the narrator, the editor, the however you want to kind of tell the, the, the role of the author or storyteller, like seems to repeat stuff, seems sometimes to like get stuff out of order where it doesn't make sense. Like we're going to look today that in 1 Samuel 16, where we're going to be in a little bit, Saul and David meet in what you would think would be a very memorable way. But then in 1 Samuel 17, it's like they don't know each other. And so something's off. Either this is just really emotionally traumatic and they don't remember or the stories are out of order. But, but there's, it's just a weird book. But one of the things that's interesting to the book, uh, about the book to me is that I think in many ways it's a book that deals with modern problems. Uh, which, in a way, I think is a reminder and an encouragement that our problems aren't necessarily modern. <laughs> uh, they're just part of the human experience. And we have modern structures and, and systems and, and things in place that make them seem modern and, and that may present these kind of ongoing human issues in, in modern ways, but they're things that people have been struggling with forever. Uh, and so I think, then, it's, uh, it's an interesting book to look at from that perspective. Uh, so to start with this morning, uh, how many of you are familiar with Sadie Hawkins events or like Sadie Hawkins Dance Week, things like that? Okay. I was first introduced to Sadie Hawkins activities at camp as a teenager. Sadie Hawkins is where like the girls uh, basically ask out or invite the guys to a dance or meal or something like that. And so we had Sadie Hawkins night at camp when I was a teenager to this camp I only went to once. This was one of the reasons probably. <laughs> and... <laughs> The way that it happened was at night, all the guys would take one of their shoes, put it in the middle of the baseball field. The girls would stand around the edge of the baseball field, and when the whistle blew, they would run, grab a shoe, and whosever shoe you grabbed, that was who you ate dinner with that night. You can imagine the strategy that went into this game, right? Girls are walking around all day looking at guys' shoes. <laughs> guys are changing shoes right before dinner or... <laughs> Or trying to make sure that, you know, only the certain girl knows what shoes you... I mean, it was just... It was... There is no good camp dinner, but that one's probably the worst. <laughs> so then I got to ACU. ACU has Sadie Hawkins Week. And it's mostly, I think, kind of a social club thing. Uh, I don't... Sadie Hawkins Week would seem to, in modernity, create some issues and potholes that, that I think would be difficult to overcome... Uh, but the idea was that you have this week of planned activities on campus where the girls are supposed to invite the guys. You go out and, and do this stuff. And so I remember one specific Sadie Hawkins um, week where there was this, this column ran in the school newspaper where this guy was basically just out in this column asking for someone, anyone, to invite him out on a Sadie Hawkins date. <laughs> And so I thought, I wonder if I could find that column. And so I found it this week. And so this is, this is a paragraph from this column. It says, The beginning of Sadie week, uh, Sadie's week is always an uplifting time. For one week out of the year, my not having a date on Friday night is not my fault. It's fun to wonder about what will transpire if that girl who you so smoothly make unavoidable eye contact with in class will be overcome by your charm and ask you out. That's a sad paragraph. <laughs> and so the, this column is basically this, uh, the, this request 
for someone to ask this poor guy out. And I remember this column because of how incredibly sad it was and because I wrote it. <laughs> and <laughs> and guys, for some reason, I thought this would be good to print in the school newspaper. <laughs> and <laughs> luckily, it was like a low-circulation uh, newspaper edition, I think. It was, it was only the day that the election results from the 2004 presidential campaign were announced, uh, announcing George Bush's re-election. So I'm sure no one picked up that newspaper. Um, so this is, this is the actual copy. This is, this is another paragraph. I don't think Ashley's ever read this column. <laughs> We talked a couple of Wednesday nights ago about vulnerability, and, and we talked about Brene Brown's concept of the vulnerability hangover, and I knew I'm just going to have a terrible vulnerability hangover tomorrow, night, tomorrow morning. It's okay. I'm just going to go with it. Uh, so you'll see here, I, I did a lot of research on Sadie's, uh, and, and it comes from this, this comic strip, and so part of the idea of this comic strip is that this dad creates a race uh, through which his daughter then gets to, to um, pursue local bachelors. And so this is, again, these are actual things that I wrote in a school newspaper. Uh, the race, this race, that, how it originated, transformed into a week-long marathon at ACU, comes to an unfortunate end when at its conclusion you remain uncaught. When Tuesday rolls around and your phone, instead of the anticipated constant ringing, hasn't been dialed up by a single female, the bottom portion of the roller coaster ride that is Sadie's Week sets in. Uh, the movie was free, there was a, a movie on campus you could go to, and you still didn't get an invitation, and now for 51 more weeks, it's your turn again. <laughs> it's not that the week has been all that different from normal routine. Again, this next line is something I printed in the school newspaper. My dating life, if you could call it that, is about as active as, well, something that's not very active. <laughs> It's just the fact that, once again, you've been left high and dry. <laughs> um, thank you, Carol. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard as well. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm okay. <laughs> but, so I try to transition somewhat seriously. Um, <laughs> I don't need a hug now. <laughs> 2004 Warren did need a hug. <laughs> and I say that somewhat jokingly, and I say it also pretty seriously. Um, because I, I had a regular column in, in what was the, the school newspapers called The Optimist, and I had a regular column in The Optimist, Optimist and it was intentionally uh, a satirical column, uh, which as I'm sure would happen with most college students, didn't always land as it was intended, um, but it was satirical uh, by nature. It was intended to be kind of just lighthearted. And so my hope is that people read this as that. Uh, but when I read back over, and I read this whole thing this week, and I was like, oh, man. Uh, when I read back over those words, what I heard in those words is, is the, the pain and aching for connection 
of a young kid too unsure of himself to put himself out there and risk rejection or failure or exposure. And, and this was sort of this uh, passive-aggressive attempt, as us nines are good at, of saying, hey, I, I'm open to this. I just want someone else to take the first step, right? Um, when I think of, of most of the bad decisions, I didn't make like really terrible decisions in college, but I made some bad ones, as we all do. And when I think back on the bad decisions I made in college, I think almost all of them, whether it was something as trivial as printing terrible stuff in the school newspaper or something more weighty, almost all of them could be traced back to this need for connection that wasn't being met, that I felt completely unsatisfied. Um, I, I had no real relationships or connections to, to people. Uh, with my family back home, I did, but I, I had no lasting friendships from college. Uh, I talked to one person uh, that I went to college with, and I'm married to her, so like that's, <laughs> that's it. And we didn't even start dating until after I left. Um, and so I look back at that, and I, I, I can laugh at the words there, but I also think, man, uh, there, there was some hurt in those words as well. Um, and I'm learning now to be a healthy version of myself, but man, at that time, I was a really unhealthy version of myself. And even though I am learning and growing, uh, I can still admit that I wish I could, I could tell you that, that the self-doubts and the inner tensions uh, that existed within that 2004 college version of Warren died off or were somehow left there when I walked across the stage to graduate, but, but that's not really how those things work, right? Uh, they linger, they pop up at times when we don't want them to, uh, they, they show up in our relationships they show up in our fears and our anxieties and our distrust and on and on and on we could go. And so it's, it's somewhat, um, I think, telling to me, you know, we, we exist in this culture in which loneliness and, and lack of connection are, are rampant. Uh, there's all kinds of studies that you can find that, that, that will show you about the, the uh, the ways in which loneliness affects our, our mental health and our, our physical health. There was one study that was done last week. I don't even know how you go about figuring something like this out or how accurate it is. Um, but there was one study done last year, I think I said last week, last year it was done, that said that as far as uh, an increased um, kind of rate of early mortality, loneliness is as dangerous for us as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Um, as far as what it does to your health and, and the, the, the rate of dying early. That's crazy. Um, others may be able to speak to how accurate that is, but um, it was a documented, and there's been all kinds of other studies that have been done that, that show this. And so in our culture, we're told that we have these endless opportunities for, for connection and for convenience and efficiency, and yet we find that many adults are lonely and overwhelmed and overworked. And these efficiencies and modern advances that were supposed to make life easier have just made life more difficult. Uh, and these, these, these things that were supposed to connect us more have actually just served to, to make us more disconnected. And in some ways, then, these can seem like modern problems, but really they're just age-old problems with modern symptoms. Uh, so in the story of, of 1 Samuel, where we left off last week, uh, the, the people have asked for a king, God doesn't want them to have a king. They said, no, we want a king. God says, all right, fine, I'm going to give you a king. Uh, so Saul 
goes out to anoint Samuel as uh, the, I got that backwards, I knew I was going to do that. I'm probably going to mess up these names all day, so just kind of bear with me. Samuel, the prophet, goes out to anoint Saul, whom God has chosen to be the king. And this is going to be a secret, basically, anointing, where uh, God sends uh, uh, Samuel out, and he wants him to do it in secret. No one else is supposed to know what's going on, who God is anointing. So Samuel goes out and he does that. They've even got this long story about how they go about doing that, which we won't get into this morning. Uh, But Samuel anoints Saul as the coming king of Israel. God knows that this is the plan. Samuel knows this is the plan. And importantly, Saul knows this is the plan. Uh, Even after his anointing, it says the Spirit of God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to prophesy, and other people who don't know about this anointing as kingship uh, look at Saul and are like, man, there's something different now about Saul. He's prophesying. Has, has Saul become one of the prophets? There's something different now about Saul. Uh, and so then this all leads to this public ceremony where Samuel is going to anoint publicly Saul as king and, and uh, sets it up to where it looks like Samuel is going to choose kind of in front of all the people who this, this first king of Israel is going to be. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a fake ceremony because they're going to choose, but God knows what's going to happen. Saul knows what's going to happen. Samuel knows what's going to happen. Uh, so we're going to pick up 1 Samuel 10, and I want you to listen to, to what happens here. 1 Samuel 10, verse 17. It says this, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought Israel up out of Egypt. And I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. So again, you can see it looks like this is all kind of happening right in front of them. Uh, Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. So we've gone this winnowing down, right? We've winnowed down from a uh, a tribe to a clan to a family, and now we've gotten it down. Looks like we've chosen Saul uh, as the new king. Uh, What are the odds that that he would be the one chosen? Uh, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. Think about that for a minute. (laughs) Uh, Saul knows what's going on. Uh, Saul knows what, what this is about. No one else does. The time comes for this, this grand kind of unveiling, and what's happened? Saul is hiding in the supply closet. Uh, it's funny on one hand, but it's also a little sad. <laughs> like, Saul just seems to be not very ready for this, right? This is a lot. This is a lot to take in. Earlier, uh, Saul is apprehensive about even going to dinner with Samuel. He's like, no, I'm not, I can't go to dinner with you. I'm the least of the least. Well, dinner is one thing. Now you're going to be made king, the first king. That's, that comes with some pressure. 
Uh, So maybe you at some point have felt like you weren't ready for something. Um, Maybe some of us have felt unqualified or overwhelmed or in over our head. Uh, Maybe we have felt burdened by expectations or, or felt the weight of pressure on our shoulders because others were depending on us. Maybe you have feared the ramifications of of failure or rejection. And if so, then I think that that we can relate to Saul, who is this guy hiding in the supply closet, who now has to leave everything he's ever known and go become king. And we're not told this anywhere in the text, but I think you can make a pretty strong case that Saul is incredibly lonely. Uh, you've, You've probably heard the phrase that it's lonely at the top. Well, it's got to be even more lonely if you're the first one to the top. Uh, Because not only is this obviously Saul's first experience in any type of royalty, this is Israel's first experience with all this as well. Uh, This had to be an incredibly isolating feeling for Saul. And again, what we know about loneliness is that it can be incredibly harmful both to a person's mental and physical health and well-being. And so I don't think it's all that surprising then that just a few chapters later, uh, we find Saul in in just bad shape. Uh, Saul has been disobedient to God already to the point that God said he regretted making Saul king. And God regretting something is interesting theological discussion in and of itself. Um, But it says God regretted that he made Saul king. And so God has Samuel then go out and anoint another king, the one who will eventually take the kingship from Saul, uh, and this person is David, a person that that we know well from stories and from Scripture, perhaps. But in similar fashion to Saul's anointing, David's anointing is not widely known either, and even after David's anointing, Saul is still king. And so that sets up, we're going to flip over to 1 Samuel 16 and look at this story that happens between the two of them. 1 Samuel 16, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Uh, This is right after Samuel then has has anointed David as the one who's going to be the successor to Saul. It says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, him being David. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now remember that. The Spirit of the Lord has come powerfully on David. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul and his attendants, uh, so Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So this guy that they suggest is the guy that Samuel has just anointed as the new king to take Saul's place. It's the kind of thing that if you watch this in a movie, you would say that's too unrealistic, like that wouldn't happen, right? Um, It wouldn't be that the guy coming to make Saul feel better is the guy that's going to take his place as king. Uh, That would just be a little too too crazy. Uh, No, that's what happened. 
Uh, so send me your son David, who was with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his arm, armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Uh, so we've kind of got this question about this, this text and this story of what, what is this evil spirit? What is this darkness that seems to have in, in, taken up residence in Saul now that the Spirit of God has left him? Um, and it seems interesting to me, at least, that uh, Saul doesn't kind of show signs of demon possession like we would think of maybe with other people associated with evil spirits in the Bible. And it seems to be really the attendants who kind of attach this idea of, of God is causing this evil spirit to come on you. And, and, and where we may kind of see a, a distinction between God allowing something and God causing something, many times ancient people just saw anything that happens as God's responsible for it. If God's sovereign and this happens, God's the responsible party. So, hey, God must be doing this to you. Uh, some people still think that way today. And so perhaps it is that this is kind of the, uh, the, the attendant's interpretation of what's going on here. Uh, but instead of it being some kind of demon possession or anything like that, it seems to be that Saul is simply not himself, and a spirit other than the Spirit of God is now at work within him. Uh, the message translation translates the parts about Saul's evil spirit this way. It says, At the very moment the Spirit of God left Saul, and in its place a black mood sent by God settled on him. Uh, the advisors say, this awful, tormenting depression from God is making your life miserable. Uh, the section then ends this way in the message. After that, whenever the bad depression from God tormented Saul, David got out his harp and played. That would calm Saul down, and he would feel better as the moodiness lifted. Uh, there, there seems to be this, this kind of visible change in, in who Saul is and the spirit that is at work within him. And so I don't believe in the end that we have to have a discussion about demon possession or even a robust opinion on, on evil spirits in order to relate to and connect with what Saul is experiencing here. We just have to know what it is to not be ourselves, to feel out of it, to feel out of place. To have a spirit other than the spirit of God impact our, our thoughts and our attitudes and, and influence our behavior. To be tormented by, by inner demons or, or tension or conflict. To be anxious or depressed or isolated and lonely. And from that perspective, I think we can all relate then to, Paul's, to Saul's situation. I knew I'd do that too. Different Saul. Uh, and so I think it stands to reason then that Saul would need someone else in his life to point this out to him, right? Saul, you're in a bad place and you need help. Sometimes the best thing we can do is listen to others around us that say, you're in a bad place and you need help. You're not yourself. Get some help. And to Saul's credit, he does. Uh, he does so in the way of music, which has a long history of, of music. Music therapy has this long history of, of being effective and, and powerful. 
Uh, but I think it's interesting that we find in, in this chapter, we find this verse in verse 21, chapter 16, 21, that says, David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Uh, now, the NIV, I think, does us a disservice here with this wording, because the word liked is literally the word loved. Uh, it's, it's translated almost everywhere else as love. Even in the NIV and other places in 1 Samuel, it's translated as love. Uh, I don't know why it's translated liked here. Uh, but what this story is telling us is that Saul loved David greatly. And it seems to me that you like the guy who can play the harp well. Uh, but you love the guy who is more than someone who simply plays the harp well. And so there are a couple of things that I wonder about this story. I wonder how many friends Saul had. I mean, real friends who you could just sit around playing the harp and talking about life's troubles. Um, I know that's not something we do, but maybe we sit around doing something else. I'm assuming none of you sit around the house playing your harp, but maybe it would be a good activity. <laughs> that's what they did at this time, apparently. How many friends like that did Saul really have? Again, I think this had to be an isolating experience for him. Uh, and then connected to that, and this question came from, from the help of of Marcia, uh, I wonder what it was about David's visits that lifted Saul's spirits. Uh, because perhaps it simply was the music. Uh, perhaps it was simply the music that, that lifts his spirits and, and, and he felt better. But it's interesting to me that the text tells us that relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirits would leave him. Like the ordering there is interesting, that Saul feels better or Saul is refreshed as other translations say, and then the evil spirit leaves, almost as if Saul's appearance and, and countenance changes once he spends some time with David and once he is feeling better and refreshed. And then the attendants look and say, oh, look, your evil spirit has left. Perhaps it was simply the music that made Saul feel better. But maybe David's playing of the lyre is simply a conduit for a relationship that forms in which Saul has the ability to be vulnerable with someone else and, and feels this connection that he has been missing ever since he came into this position. Maybe in David, Saul has found someone who he can trust. Because Saul is not himself. There is a different spirit at work within Saul that has greatly impacted his ability to function well. But then he meets David. And whenever David and Saul are together, Saul feels better. And because of that, Saul loved him. So who makes you feel better? Uh, better about your worth and your value? Who makes you feel loved and accepted? Who exhibits the Spirit of God in such a way that you are uplifted and encouraged whenever you are around them? And in what ways are you leaning into those relationships for support and encouragement and connection and strength? On the other hand, who are you pouring into to ensure that they have someone who makes them feel better about themselves? Or who do you have relationship with that is in need of that? Uh, and are you being faithful to that need to pour into them love uh, and acceptance and welcome and embrace? As the video at the beginning told us, we are all invited to this table at which Christ is our, is our host. But it's up to us to be welcoming members of this community and family that we call the kingdom of God. 
uh, and, and to throw our arms around each other, to be welcoming toward each other, to be supportive and encouraging toward each other. Uh, because I think if most of us are honest with ourselves, there are places in our lives where we are in need of deeper connection. And we see that at surface level, and we can look at that at surface level things like an article written in a school newspaper, or we can realize the deeper needs that exist within us for deeper connection. Uh, we're going to press pause on Saul's story there because it would be great if, if this story uh, between Paul and David, Saul, man, I keep doing it, Saul and David ended up there and they just went ahead and were lifelong friends sitting on the porch playing the lyre together. That's not how it goes. <laughs> Unfortunately, their, their, their love, or at least Saul's love for David seems to be short-lived. So we'll pick up there next week. You'll have to come back for part two of that. Uh, but for today, we have this message of the ways in which I think we can encourage and support each other. And we're reminded of the strength that we gain as we come to Christ. Because no matter what, uh, we have this hope of the Spirit of God that was in us that will not depart from us. Uh, but we still have to make a choice between which spirit are we going to listen to. The spirit of the world, the spirit of our fears, the spirit of our anxieties, uh, the spirit of, of sin. Or are we going to let the Spirit of God uh, take over our lives and, and have that manifest itself in community? We're going to sing a song here in just a minute that speaks to this idea that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we proclaim the perfect love of God that is casting out fear casting out evil spirits from, amongst, from among us that, that tempt us to, to, to go off into some other places, that tempt us to give in to other spirits of the world, that tempt us to give in to our, our worst fears and, and anxieties and inhibitions. Uh, but may we be reminded of the community that we have in Christ around the table this morning as we share in communion and the hope and redemption that we have in the person of Jesus. So let's sing together as we prepare to take communion. So would you stand uh, and sing with us, and then we'll share in communion together.
pray our prayer of confession together, uh, and then we'll share in communion. Uh, I'll pray the parts in white, and together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest path, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build a kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 